Now I will say to me and to you, expect serious temptation to the end. And expect temptation in every regard. Every way, least expected way, most expected way, heavy, light. We will be so, and you will be tempted more here because you're at Eagle River. And I will be more tempted because I'm a St. Vladimir's than most. The temptations are going to be vicious and unremitting. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Say, oh, crap. No. It goes with the territory. If you want to live here, if I want to teach the St. Vladimir's, I better be ready for big league temptation. And that's a theme constant in the writings of the Desert Fathers. So I will talk temptation a little bit. I will talk temptation by talking Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you knew that. I mean, there's no other way to talk about it. So by now you know me. I will tell you a story. A story of when I went to the Holy Land. I went to the Holy Land maybe 10 years ago by myself. I played pilgrim. I acted like I was this holy person. But in truth, I had a little rented car that was air-conditioned. I stayed in Roman Catholic convents. It was safe. I had a lot of bottled water. <laughs> it was not in any way arduous or ascetical. I knew, how do I say this? I went because I thought I wanted to find more about the person, human Jesus. So I didn't want to go to churches built on holy ground. I don't want to see man-made churches. I want to see the holy ground. I want to put my foot in the Lake of Galilee. I want to, and the thing I wanted most was to go to the desert, the Judean desert, to see where Jesus was when tempted. Well, to make that very long story a little bit shorter, I set out in my little car. Now, the Judean desert is not like the Arabian desert. And not like the movies. It's not flowing hills, gold with camels and white flowing robes. It's not like that at all. It's craggy and hot. 116 degrees, hot, hot. And arduous and austere and absolutely treeless. There isn't a shadow around. It is barren. And there are no roads. So... <laughs> the thing that's driven over most on the sand is what you follow, but there's no macadam, at least not much of it. So I'm out there with my little car, and all the signs, little, are all in Arabic, which I can't read. So, so I was lost, just lost, lost, lost. And out there, I mean, you don't want to be lost out there. I was lost. I felt safe because I had a lot of gas and water. But I had no idea where. I, I couldn't find this place. I, quit. I looked at the map. And then I came to this little outpost that said police headquarters in English. I said, whoo, 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 So I knocked out the door, and of course, it was an army outpost, and it happened to be Arab, which is really un-American. In the Holy Land, then and now, all young people, men and women, are in uniform. Black, Arab, green, Israeli. And they all have semi-automatic rifles on their back. And they all live at home. They don't have any barracks. So, and they hitchhike to work, which means every place I drove, there were hitchhikers with semi-automatic rifles, and I picked up none of them. 
But then, in every corner in Jerusalem were two green-clad youths, and cross diagonally were two black-clad youths, every corner. And I knew if I took out a firecracker and threw it in the middle of the street, they'd be down on one knee aiming those guns at each other. I mean, it was, it was clear. I, I wasn't afraid, but it was clear. So, but anyway, this guy didn't, it was one human there, he didn't speak English. Um, and, and I used a map, and he was trying to be helpful. He had like a missing tooth, and, and he had his finger on the trigger of the rifle. <laughs> and he was trying to point to me where to go with the rifle. <laughs> and he would take it past my head. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't in danger, but I was still rattled. So I thanked him and went my way. But I'm getting more rattled. So finally, I found it. And it's, 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 it's an Orthodox monastery way up on a hill. It has to be a half a mile up on a hill. And there is a black macadam parking lot the size of this room there. And when I went, there was a bus with an American sign on it. So American tourists. So I parked my little car by the bus and walked up. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had this vague gringo notion of the desert. <laughs> I'll say this to you. It's like, from where I was, I could see 30 miles in every direction. I could see, almost see Jerusalem, which is about 30 miles, 25 miles away. And I could see Jericho. And there, and, and there wasn't shade anywhere. There wasn't, there wasn't anything giving shade. It was like... Where's the shade? <laughs> There's none. Okay. But as I walked up the path, about that wide, straight sheer drop, and then solid rock. So I'm walking up cautiously. And halfway up on the path, unexpectedly, I meet an eight-year-old boy with his hand out for, a, for money. I said, what? And stupidly, I said to myself, and arrogantly, I am not going to be raked off in the middle of the desert. <laughs> so I said to him, no. So he walked away. And I walked a little further. And then I looked up, and I saw a Bedouin tent, which means poles and canvas, making shade. Two, three great big men and this little kid. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> if they want my passport and my wallet and the keys to my car, They'll simply come down, take the stuff, push me over, and nobody will ever find me. <laughs> I said, you should have given the kid a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out, they did not in any way do anything, and I walked past them. I mean, you know, up to the monastery. So I'm really rattled. And I got to the monastery, and it was filled with American women getting a tour. And there was a, a, a cave with a sign in many languages that said, this is the cave that Jesus slept in during his 40 days in the desert. I said to myself, I don't care if that's the cave that Jesus slept in, but he slept someplace and it was something like that. So it's around here somewhere and this is as good as any. And they built a monastery around it, so I'll take it. So I sat in the corner and I just listened to the description, had my pillow and my... Bible and my water. Then they all left, and there was this janitor, young man, working there who spoke English, 
I was seated, he was standing. And just to make conversation, I said to him, uh, so we believe, do we, that this is the cave Jesus slept in for, for 40 days. And he saw me for what I was, just this green gringo. And this is what he said. Excuse the, the drama, but this is what he did. He said to me, like he stood there and he pointed and he got on his tiptoes and he goes, No! The Christos fasted to the very brink of death. And he walked away. I said to myself, I don't think I needed that. But you know what? I still quote that guy. And, and he really rang a bell inside me. And I began to think, nee, 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 nee. and then I became aware that really, you know what? 40 is a biblical number, and what he was really saying was, Christ did, wasn't here for 39 plus one days. He was here to the very brink of death, and there's a big difference. It's not as I was making it, you know, in this little box. So I started to think more about this stuff. I said, well, if 40 isn't 40, then maybe angels aren't angels. Because I thought of angels, white, wings, come, Jesus fasted, they put a, it's all over, put a white tablecloth on and feed them some pita and wine. And I said, maybe it, was, maybe it was just a Bedouin family who found them and nursed them back to health, took them 10 days. I don't know. Devil, pitchfork, tail, horns. I said, maybe it wasn't devil isn't devil. Maybe devil means, biblically, his own thoughts. He got weak and he was tempted by his own thoughts, his own mind. So I checked out with a biblical scholar in Jerusalem, and she said, yeah, you're right, Al. That's what it means. So I said, oh. So I started to wake up a little bit to what's really going on, because I wanted the humanity of Christ. 